Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Today, we're talking about developing exceptional leaders. The good news is you may only need to develop one, maybe two of your strengths to be exceptional and have the success your mother was hoping for even when she found out you were in advertising. (laughs) My guest on this episode is Joanne Gordon. She's the vice president of human resources at Tintree. She's previously worked in HR at Thermo Fisher, Affymetrics, and eBay. Joanne's also a workshop leader for Zenger Folkman. And she's going to be giving both a short talk and a full day workshop on exceptional leaders at the ACP LS annual meeting in Boston in October. I will give you the details on that at the end of the podcast. Joanne, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for including me in this podcast. And by the way, I've listened to several of your other podcasts and learned quite a bit. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. Well, thank you very much. This is going to be a good one. So let's, let's start with the goal here. We're trying to help people become better leaders. So every marketer, you know, at some point, you know, is a leader in some way, and some of them will lead you know, larger or smaller teams. Tell us a little bit about the Zinger Folkman approach to leadership development. What's behind it? What makes it different? Sure, Chris. So what stands out most for me is it's very much research and data-based. So as opposed to kind of having an idea and looking for some anecdotal evidence to explain it, they said, let's look at the data. And, and to give a little history, so we have Jack Zenger, who really was a guru in leadership for many years before he joined Joe Folkman, who was an expert in assessment instruments. And the two of them got together created Zenger Folkman, and they started with about 100,000 surveys of leaders. And what they were looking for is, what are those key behaviors? What differentiates the extraordinary or the exceptional leader? And and what I love about it is, they said, let's let the data lead the way instead of, you know, we have an idea, how do we prove that? So one of the things they did is they took all these 100,000 of them and they looked at who are overall rated as the top 10%. And then they compared those with who overall were rated in the bottom 10%. And what differentiates those two? And what's important is it had to be something that shows up in the top leaders, but does not show up in the other leaders. So for example, business acumen they found could be for a great leader, it could be for a not so good leader. So that doesn't really differentiate what truly makes a great leader. And they, from that process, they came up with about 16 differentiating competencies, or we might call those behaviors or traits. So <clears throat> another thing they found there is that getting to be a good leader is commendable and a great thing, but it's not the same as getting to be an exceptional or a truly great leader. And what they found with those truly great leaders is you don't have to be perfect. So I don't know, Chris, if for yourself, if you think of a, an exceptional leader you've had in the past, I don't know if you found that person to be perfect or not, but when you think of that person, did they have any weaknesses that you can remember? 
Yeah, um, I'm sure they all do. Um, I'm trying to to think. I have a couple of exceptional leaders in mind, and and I know, and they're pretty self aware. That's one of their traits <laughs> that I noticed. But they they would certainly, um, if I asked them, be able to state what those weaknesses were. I, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking through at them through rose colored glasses. But, <laughs> Good. Well, here's the thing is in the past, we used to really focus on let's find your weaknesses and fix those. That's sort of historically been how you develop people. And when they went through this research, they found that those top performers definitely have weaknesses. And it's not about eliminating all those weaknesses. It's not about trying to be perfect in all realms. What they found is the people who really stood out, even if they had weaknesses, which everybody does, they had at least one profound strength. So at least one area where they really stood out above the rest. And if they had that profound strength, then that overall made them an exceptional leader. So what I like about Zenger Folkman is it kind of goes against what we used to do historically, which is fix all your weaknesses. Now, here's the interesting thing. That puts it in the camp of strengths-based leadership or strengths-based development, and that's kind of in vogue right now. And we may have heard of Strengths Finders, which was a bestseller recently, and other groups or processes and philosophies based on developing those strengths. And a lot of those philosophies, it kind of went to the opposite extreme, which is go find your strength, just focus on those strengths, and go make yourself you know, the best you can be. Well, Zenger Folkman is, in my mind, sort of a more mature or a wiser approach to that. And and basically, to paraphrase it, I would say it's like Zenger Folkman is saying, focus on your strengths unless you don't want to focus on your strengths. And there are times when you don't want to focus on your strengths. And I don't know, Chris, if you want to venture a guess, guess as to when you might not want to be focusing on developing your strengths. Anything come to mind? Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time, honestly. <laughs> well, can I give you a hint? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's a thing called a fatal flaw and how they define a fatal flaw is a weakness, which is so obvious, so devastating that it's really going to stop you from growing and developing. And so the philosophy of Zenger Folkman is yes, focus on your strengths unless you have a weakness that they would call a fatal flaw that's going to stop you from growing and developing. And if that's the case, then you really do need to focus on that weakness first. So in, in those ways, it's kind of that mature view of strengths, yes, but not always strengths. And one other thing that stands out about Zenger Folkman process is they use what I would call or they call a 360 degree assessment as opposed to just a, a sort of a self-assessment. Excellent. And I want to come back to that 360 and, you know, just to back up, you know, and I, I do understand the fatal flaw as being something like, well, there's no point in working on your weaknesses if, if there's some part of your total package that is, is going to keep you from being exceptional no matter what. So that makes sense. And then I want to go back a, even a little bit further to talking about when you say, um, you know, one profound strength. And so I want to tie this to marketing. And, and the focus on that one strength, because marketers will get this, if you have a product and it has one, you know, clear differentiating benefit, that's what you focus on in your marketing, right? You don't, 
You don't spend all your effort trying to fix the things that you're not good at necessarily, because that still might not be differentiating. You're, you're focusing on the one thing that makes you better than everybody else. Is that a fair analogy? Um, so I want to jump on what you just said about that focusing on the one profound strength. And we have what we call in HR the halo effect, right? And, and that is that when we find out that someone is really good at one thing, we tend to assume they're good at all kinds of things. I know I had an example of someone I was working with on a, in a particular situation, and I learned that in his past life, he was one of the star developers of the Russian and then the U.S. Olympics team. Now, knowing that he did that and he was exceptional at that, I began to think he was great at all kinds of other things. And we do that as human beings. So there's a lot of power in that one profound strength. Yep. I like that. Okay, so let's go back to... The 360 degree assessment. Um, so I've taken, for example, the Strength Finder assessment. I've, I mentioned to you previously, I'm a kind of an assessment junkie. <laughs> uh, and so I've done that, which is a completely a self-assessment. So let's talk about the difference that you get from a 360 degree assessment, which of course I'm kind of imagining is really what matters, how other people see you. Sure. So first, I want to say that a self-assessment is a really important first step. We, we certainly see great value in that. In fact, I think Zenger Folkman even has a self-assessment you can do on their website. So it is very valuable. But here's where the data kind of led them to a broader understanding. And that is our perception of ourselves is really not the same as someone else's perception of us. And we, we delude ourselves sometimes, right? So when they looked at the data, they found that other people's perceptions of us are about 50% more accurate than our own perceptions of ourselves. Now, how can that be, right? Well, they look at a particular uh, trait or competency and how you rate yourself. They look at all the other data from the other folks of how they rate you. And it is true that there are times we just don't see things that other people see in us. Most likely it's going to be that fatal flaw that you don't really realize. And I, I know one example <laughs> I've thought of is, you know, there's that guy in the room, every meeting he tells some corny joke. Now he may think he's the funniest guy on earth. What he doesn't realize is that everybody else in the room is kind of rolling their eyes at him and he's not aware of that. And sometimes having that awareness from those other people can be truly enlightening. I would say the other thing is when we think about what is a leader, right? So we're developing leadership. One of the simplest definitions of a leader is people who have other people follow them. You can't be a leader without followers. And followers will follow you based on their perception of you. Right. So whatever that objective truth of who I am may or may not be, if I'm going to succeed in a leadership role, the perception that other people have of me is crucial. So the, the ability to create an awareness of that perception and improve that is going to help me be a better leader. 
So that 360, by the way, it includes your manager's feedback about you, your direct reports, the other coworkers you work with, and there's actually another category for others. So that could be, for example, customers that you deal with. And what you do is you get feedback from all those different areas, sort of the full circle view. Um, that information is also anonymous and how they do that is when you're filling out that assessment for someone, you are aware that there have to be three responses in each category, such as peers, for example, for that category to be displayed to the respondent separately. So if I only have two direct reports or only two direct reports reply, I'm not going to get a readout just on direct reports. And the reason for that is if there's at least three, then we could consider that anonymous. It's going to be pretty hard for me to figure out who chose what answer. And when you know it's anonymous feedback, at least for myself, I can say, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, Chris, but when you know it's anonymous, you kind of have a little more security or safety with telling it like it is. And that's what we really want. We want to get at that real information. Does, does that make sense what I'm saying? The whole thing, yeah, makes total sense. I mean, uh, since we're talking about leadership, what you think your skills are can be useful, for example, in figuring out you know, what you'd like to do. But it, when it comes to managing other people and being a leader, whether you manage them directly or not, what matters is their reaction to your behaviors or your competencies. So it makes total sense. And then, of course, the anonymous part. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to get feedback that's honest. And that's, that's the way you do that. Mm-hmm. Tell me, uh, Joanne, what does, um, so let's imagine I take this 360. What does the report show? I think I have a sample that I'll link to in the show notes, but what does it show and how is it used to guide my development plan for leadership? Sure. Well, first of all, I recommend people register now for the workshop because we're going to be sending out emails to lots of different folks that you choose and get all the gather all that feedback from these different categories of respondents. And then you get this beautiful binder. It's about 30 pages and it's beautiful. It's got lots of graphs and analysis, etc. And primarily it's going to talk about those 16 competencies, those differentiating competencies I mentioned earlier, and how you you are perceived on each of those competencies. So it lists the 16. There are several questions about particular aspects or behaviors of each competency that your respondents have replied to. And you're going to see this graph of here's how my peers responded with regard to this competency and my performance of this competency. Here's how my manager rated me, etc. And you also get that uh, compared to norms. Now, remember I said there are hundreds of thousands, over the years, many hundreds of thousands of respondents to these surveys. So when I see how my peers rated me on, you know, honesty and integrity, I'm also going to see what the norms are out there. What is the norm for the 75th percentile or the 90th percentile of 
all those other hundreds of thousands of respondents. So again, you get to see how you are rated, if you will, by your respondents and how that compares to the norms. There's this employee commitment uh, index, and it's kind of cool. It's very short. It's five questions that go to all of my direct reports if I'm the one getting the the, um, assessment done. It's like a mini engagement survey, questions like, you know, would you refer others to work in this organization? And I I don't know if you've ever had an engagement survey at a company you worked at before, but I can say from being in HR, that's a really important gauge for us of how things are going based on how people are feeling about the company. Uh, one other thing you get is importance ratings on each of these competencies. And you may say, well, what's, what's the value of that? Well, the value is this. If you are going to work on a certain competency, you want it to be one that's important to the company, to your success, to the culture that you're working in. And so you get that feedback from your peers and your manager and coworkers, which are the competencies that for you will make the biggest difference, be most important to your success. And by the way, we're going to be using this information. You spend the whole afternoon, once you've got this data, really analyzing, understanding, and using it to figure out what's the most important thing that I can do so I can have the greatest impact in my company. And then one other thing in there, by the way, is uh, verbatim written comments. So numerical analysis is very important. Sometimes you just got to get that color, if you will, a little more verbal. (laughs) So there's three questions that are asked that they literally have people write whatever they write in the response and you get that printed out for you in the report. Um, so, and, and lots of other graphs, et cetera. But the, the important thing is we use all kinds of information here to develop ourselves based on those strengths and how we compare against the norms, based on the importance of what we want to work on. And, you know, again, sometimes even looking at those fatal flaws and that impact. I can imagine the importance, even within a single company, is different from job to job. So is it... <clears throat> And if it's your direct reports responding, I'm assuming they're rating you on your competencies relative to what they expect from someone in your position, right? When it comes to importance. Yes, exactly. So when you get that importance information, you'll get to see, hey, here are the top four or so competencies that my peers think are important for me to succeed. Here are the top ones my manager thinks are most important for me to succeed, Uh as well as your uh, direct reports. And you're going to use all that information to try and figure out what's most important to me right now that I'm going to focus on. Great. So you mentioned honesty and integrity. Um, Would you name just a few of the other competencies, just so people get a little flavor of the spectrum of things we're looking at here? Sure, sure. So uh, as I said, there were 16 of them and that's a lot. Um, And these are again, the differentiating ones. They differentiate those top performers. An easy way to look at them is they almost kind of cluster into about five main groups. And so an analogy we use is imagine you are having a big outdoor party with one of those huge square tents to cover you from the sun or the rain. And you could look 
at the fact that for a square tent like that, you're going to need five tent poles. One is the biggest and strongest in the middle, and then other tent poles at each of the four corners. And so we use that analogy to kind of understand how to categorize those. And in the middle is the biggest and the strongest tent pole. And that's one competency. And I don't know if you have a thought on that, Chris. Any guesses as to what we consider to be the the strongest competency or the most important? Well, I'm going to go for integrity. (laughs) Good job. Really, if you don't have that trust, that integrity, that honesty, everything else kind of falls apart. So that's the main one. And then when we look at the other four tent poles or categories, right, there's personal capability. And that has to do with developing yourself, your expertise, self-development. The other is focusing on results, right? You've got to create those results. You've got to drive, stretch goals, take initiative. Uh, the next one would be interpersonal skills. You need to develop those relationships. You've got to communicate and de- develop that collaboration with the team, etc. And then the last one is leading change, right? In this world, you have got to be a champion of change. You have got to take that strategic, broader perspective and kind of connect what you're doing with the trends in the world. So does that give you a general sense of the, the basic categories of the competencies? Yes. Yeah, very much so. So that's, yeah, skill at your job, being able to communicate, being able to make things happen makes total sense. So let's imagine um, I've taken my assessment and then obviously, um, I mean, I guess let's say I have a relatively what I imagine is a sort of standard assessment where I stand out in one particular area. How do we decide what types of activities I'm going to undertake to develop my chosen area of focus. Okay, sure. So I'm actually going to, if you're sorry with you, I'm going to back up a little bit and just kind of mention quickly how we get to choosing the one that you're going to work on. Because you may have one strength that stands out above the rest. And it may be one you really don't care about. So we actually go through a process before choosing the one, and it's kind of a fun filtering process. We call it using the analogy of a CPO to get you to your sweet spot. And the CPO is competence. Yes, you got to have basic competence if you're going to develop a strength. And fine-tuning that, if it's a weakness, you're not going to really focus on it unless it's a fatal flaw, unless it's a really a devastating weakness. And also, if it's already a profound strength, if it's already in that upper 10%, there's probably diminishing returns on focusing on that one. So you might want to let that one go. So you're going to look at the, the other strengths that you have that are strengths, but not necessarily already up at that upper 10%. That's the C. Then you're going to look at P, which is passion. And the idea is this, if you're going to focus on it, you want to have some passion for it because you need to practice, you need to commit to that, you need to put some effort in here, and it's a heck of a lot more fun if you actually care about it. So I don't know if you've had an experience where you had to practice something you were not interested in. For example, my piano lessons when I was about 9, 10, and 11 years old is no fun if you don't care, right? So you want to have some passion for it. And then the third is it needs to be important to the company. So the O is for organizational need. So you may have a passion for oil painting, right? But if that's not going to help you in your business, we're up to really making you a better leader. And so it is important that it's the 
company cares because you also want that company to support you in finding those projects or there's new goals that'll help you develop your skill. So again, CPO, you get to that one that you're going to work on. And then, gosh, what what are you going to do? Well, so one of the interesting things about Zenger Folkman is they found that how you develop a strength is different than how you fix a weakness. And that's one of the, the magical parts of Zenger Folkman. And how they got to this is in doing the research, they began to see that for strong, exceptional performers, they tended to see almost like certain competencies that went together, almost like you Velcroed them together in that if someone was really exceptional at one competency, there tended to be one or two others that they also almost always tended to be good at. Likewise, if they were really bad at something, they almost tended to be bad at those same competencies. So they went with that and they researched, they let the data lead them and they began to see that there are in fact what they now call competency companions. And so what they had through further kind of unpacking this, they began to realize that how you develop a strength is by using those competency companions. All right. So we, um, if the sound is different, I'm just going to leave this in here. If the sound is different, it's because uh, we had a little trouble with our internet connection. And so now we're moving to a different recording platform. So Joanne, thank you for your patience on that. Um, we were just talking about sure. competency companions, which are the the things I'm going to work on that are going to help build the competency that I'm focused on. So I guess my next question is, you know, what types of activities might those be? Can you give an example of what that looks like? Sure, exactly. So I'll use example of when I actually took this survey a few years ago as a leader. Um, one of the areas that I ended up deciding to work on was inspires and motivates. Now I'm I'm pretty good at it. It's a strength, but I really wanted to be exceptional. So how it works the workshop, you will get this huge binder with all kinds of information about competency companions. And for example, in the area of inspires and motivates, you'll look that one up. And in the binder, it talks about, you know, what that looks like, what optimal performance looks like. You get some good ideas of how you might work on that if it were a weakness that you were working on. And by the way, that's a pretty linear process, right? It's pretty logical. If you're not so good at something, you do the understood expected things. You go get a book on it. You get a teacher to help you with it or a mentor. You practice routine practices. So it kind of lists some ideas for fixing a weakness. But the beautiful part here now is they also list, here are the competency companions that are related to this. And it's kind of like doing cross-training. So if you want to get good as a football player, chances are your coach, once you're in the pros, they're going to assign you all kinds of other practices. For example, I've heard of, you know, go learn ballet so that you learn how to be more uh, graceful. Maybe you take up meditation so you learn how to focus or yoga so you become more flexible. And that cross-training, if you will, well, guess what? You get to do something similar with your leadership skills. And that is you focus on these other competency companions. So for me, looking at Inspires and Motivates, there were 10 different competency companions. 
One of them was clear vision and direction. And I like that one. Is that one? You then go in and look and say, okay, what does that mean? Well, it's that visionary leaders are painting a compelling picture about the future, et cetera. And then it gives you some specific things you can try. One of those, for example, was bring the outside in. Hmm, what's that? Well, the idea is that if you, when you're giving projects to your team or having meetings, you can kind of connect it to what's going on out there in the world, how this relates to certain trends in the industry, for example, or this relates to how other groups in the company are being affected, then all of a sudden you give a lot more depth and meaning to what you're asking your employees to do. And we all want to do something that's meaningful, right? So as I began to bring the outside in, if you will, I found that they were automatically getting more motivated and inspired. So that's where doing something different that you wouldn't normally expect necessarily is about inspiring actually makes you better at inspiring. Does that kind of give a clear example there? I've got more if you want more. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like that example a lot. I mean, um as you say, beyond the, we need to do this because the company, it has to happen for the company, giving it that broader perspective about, and I, and I think people will recognize when they look at the great leaders that many of us recognize, I'm going to throw out Steve Jobs, for example, or whatever, um, you know, they have a vision that's bigger than selling iPhones, right? I mean, they change how things are done. Uh, so yep, exactly. that was so good, though. I do want another one just because. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, and this is one actually I think is described in the course, and I actually had it with one of the leaders that I was working with at one of my last companies. Um, and this is a point where the, the, the female leader, and she was very, very knowledgeable in her area of expertise. But for some reason, she wasn't seen that way, right? So it actually was a strength of hers to have this technical knowledge. But when people don't perceive that, it's as good as if you don't, right? They weren't uh, sort of going to her for that knowledge. They weren't really accepting it from her. So we sat down and we talked a little bit about it. And what we realized is that her communication skills could use some work, right? So we worked on that competency companion to her technical skills, which is communicating profoundly. And as she became a better communicator, voila, she was also seen as more technically knowledgeable because she was able to communicate it now. They could see that technical knowledge because she'd learned how to better communicate it. So that's a little bit of a shorter one where something you wouldn't necessarily think is going to make you better at this can have a huge impact because it makes it more visible, more readily understood or seen. Well, I really appreciate the combination of both the examples you, you've given. So um, one, you know, how to inspire by bringing the outside in and attaching more meaning to things. And then the other one, just a very practical down to earth that I think people, many people will recognize in themselves, if not directly, but hey, I'm, I'm good at this thing, but nobody recognizes it. So what's the what's the thing I need to work on so that it can come out and shine for me? <laughs> right. Um, I love all this. I don't want to take too much more time, but, and what I really like about this whole thing is the idea of focusing on one thing. I, um, 
focusing is sometimes a challenge for me personally. Um, but I do like the idea because it simplifies the idea of I could get really good at one thing and make a huge difference in my career or my life in general. If, if someone has to, you know, I'm curious that occasionally somebody might work on two of these competencies. So I'm curious, like, why would you choose to, what does that situation look like? And, and what does it look like when you're working on, I mean, I guess, is it just a double amount of activity or double kinds of activity? But I'm really curious, like, what makes you decide, all right, this person's got two things to do? Sure. So again, we generally recommend that you focus on one at a time using that CPO model, right? Competency, passion, organizational needs. And really, essentially, what you're going to be asking is, if I made a substantial improvement in this thing, what would have the greatest impact? And oh, by the way, what do I have the most passion about? So you ask about two. Well, let me start by saying how valuable one is, and then we'll get to two. And that is the research showed, and again, I get back to this data, which I love, in the hundreds of thousands of these assessments, they found that if you have just one profound strength, and again, they define that as that strength that was listed up in the upper 90th percentile. So out of your 16 different competencies, if one of them is profound, then chances are your overall average performance rating is going to be around the 34th percentile. So in other words, you're going to automatically be a better, better, if you will, overall than a third of the leaders there. But if you, so I'm sorry, I apologize. That's if you have zero profound strengths, you're in the 34th percentile. If you have just found strength actually jumps up to the 64th percentile. So when you have one profound strength, you move from, hey, being about 40% or 33% of the group to now being above almost two-thirds of the group. That's a huge jump. And mathematically, would you agree? That just makes sense. Why would only one competency at that level make such a disaster, great jump in your overall rating? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, well, here's the deal. It is that, it, exactly. Here's the deal. It's that halo effect, right? It's the fact that different competencies are correlated. So if you get really good at one, chances are you're bringing up a few others as well. And it's also about that visibility I talked about, because some of those, once you can see one profound strength, it allows visibility for others. If you want to get up to even a higher percentage, what we found is once you get to, say, having three profound strengths, you are by definition in the top 20% overall of all leaders. So to get back to your question of, hey, one versus two, we recommend you start with one. You put your time and energy and passion into that one. And once you've gotten that up to where it's a profound strength, probably diminishing returns after that, then sequentially, you go to the next one on your list. And now you're going to work on that second one. So as opposed to two of them at once, we actually recommend you start with one, however long it takes to feel like you've got that one really at a profound level, then move to the next. And because nothing is ever 100% set, the other possibility where you may go for two at once is when you have a weakness and a strength that you want to work on. So remember, we're all complex human beings. We all have some weaknesses and we have strengths. And if one of those weaknesses is a fatal flaw, 
we talked about earlier, you've got to address that before you can, it's kind of like the anchors down on the ship. You're not going to be able to sail until you take that anchor up. So sometimes we will recommend that you begin with that fatal flaw. And if you're really anxious, like me, I like to do 10 things at once. Maybe you work on that fatal flaw, which is the logical approach, as well as also working on one of your strengths. That, so, so there are times when you can do both at once, and those would be those times. Does that make sense, Chris? Yes, yeah, very much so. And I really like the sequential nature. So it's really um, someone who's decided that they're, you know, they want to be in the top twenty percent, and mm-hmm. you know, they have the time and the willingness and the the drive to do that, and you know, it's going to pay off for them. But working it on one at a time in most cases. Uh, I just find fascinating and the whole halo effect thing. I mean, and I think that's <laughs> somewhat of the, of the takeaway of not just the importance of this, but it explains how, you know, if you are really good at one thing, then people will perceive you as better at lots of things, which I suppose could get you into trouble, but unlikely and, and makes it easier for someone to say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to really get good at this thing because I like it. It's important and it's going to make a huge difference for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Joanne Gordon, this has been really helpful. Um, I'm really excited uh, to be offering this workshop for you to be offering this workshop at the ACPLS mm-hmm. annual meeting. That's in October um, on the, the, you're going to give a little talk um, on October 26th. And on the 27th, you're going to give this full day workshop, but people need to sign up for this so they can start those assessments. And I will put a link in the show notes, but um, for now, go to acp-ls.org to um, to find it. Look under annual meetings on the main menu, then you'll see workshops. And if you register for the meeting, um, you'll find a link that will take you to the registration where you can sign up for the workshop. So Joanne Gordon, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm very excited about this workshop. Go sign up now for that. You're going to come away with so much great information that you can use for years to come to really become that powerful, impactful, exceptional leader. Excellent. Excellent.